0: Pasa, Mufasa. Ni hao. Salam aleikum. Bienvenidos. What the fuck is up, everybody? Welcome to the Michaelpreneur Podcast. It's time for a little brand refresh on the intro. So I had to slide some cumbia vibes up in this bitch. Yes. Today we've got Shelby Hartman on the podcast, co-founder and CEO of Double Blind. What's poppin', Shelby? We're gonna get down to business momentarily, but first, how about a little update regarding ongoings in the mycoprene universe. You may have noticed we just launched a new project called Ego Death Magazine, which is a psychedelic satire platform. Because heaven knows we need a healthy dose of satire in the plant medicine space. Tons of low-hanging fruit. We're going to pick that shit right off the Access Mundi and make lemonade out of all these lemons that life has been handing us www.EgoDeathMagazine.com at EgoDeath Magazine on your social monitoring networks. We are also currently supporting a reciprocity initiative for the Mazatec indigenous community of northern Oaxaca, Mexico, who are the ancestral guardians of the last known remaining sacred mushroom ritual and all its corresponding elements that stretch back it's a time immemorial. And you can find out more about this extraordinary initiative at www.esperanzamazateca.com. So without further ado, ado ado to you and you and you, let's get this show on the road. K Pasa Mufasa, Shelby Hartman, co-founder and CEO of Double Blind. Thanks for joining us on the Michael Pernur Podcast. How are things on the West Coast USA today, Shelby?
1: They're good. It's a beautiful day outside.
0: Well, it's an honor to host you on the pod. And Double Blind, of course, is a household name in the burgeoning psychedelics industry, especially where media and education are concerned. And I don't really have a frame of reference for how Double Blind arrived on the world stage. It just felt like all of a sudden... People started sharing double-blind articles and videos across social media, and there you were. So I'd I'd love it if you could flesh out a little bit of the origin story of this prominent psychedelic media platform that you've pioneered for us.
1: I mean, it also kind of feels to us like all of a sudden it was everywhere. Like, we often joke, my co-founder and I, that um, we're sort of channeling something that needed to be in the world. It's not us so much as it's just that... You know, it was kind of perfect timing, and a lot of people were craving more information on how to use psychedelics and craving journalism that was covering nuanced aspects of the industry. Yeah, the idea came to me when I was meditating, actually, and it was just the concept was simply to start a print magazine on psychedelics. We did not anticipate having courses or webinars or online articles or an Instagram or a TikTok or all the things that we have now. It was just purely a print magazine and completely a passion project
0: well it seems to have evolved quite a bit since then i'm actually at my friend's house right now and she's a therapist has had a practice for 15 years and i mentioned i was interviewing you and she goes oh i just signed up for their microdosing course so it's definitely all up in our face now and i'm stoked about it for one so on one of the earlier episodes of this podcast we had a conversation with our guest alan lilienthal who's an awesome musician and a podcast host himself and we talked about this enormous potential for harnessing pop culture as a tool for educating and inspiring people and our mutual desire to see pop culture outlets take on issues like mental health and emotional well-being instead of the celebrity culture and vacuous consumer lifestyle that a lot of platforms have traditionally glorified. And we both agree that Double Blind does an excellent job of bridging this gap. And I'm curious, is that something that is an explicit part of the Double Blind agenda or are y'all just putting out Interesting content that naturally and organically elevates the dialogue surrounding mental health and new ways of looking at how we create and consume culture.
1: Our North Star was always, in the beginning, impact-oriented journalism. A, like I said before nuanced reporting that introduces conversations around what's happening within the realm of psychedelics and the psychedelic quote-unquote industry to the mainstream and secondarily educational resources that help people safely embark on a journey with psychedelics. And in the beginning when we were mapping out the first magazine we literally just sat down together and talked about you know what are kind of high level some of the categories or topics that we feel are important that we want to make sure that we're covering. And so for us, it was indigenous reciprocity was always huge and making sure that we were uplifting um, indigenous voices, um, covering what's happening in the realm of policy was important to us. So at the time, Denver hadn't even decriminalized psilocybin. That happened actually the day before we went to print with our first issue. But there was already momentum around decriminalization Uh, What's happening in the realm of drug development with the FDA and all the clinical trials that are investigating psychedelics? What's happening in the realm of business ethics, access, equity, um, and then also social justice in terms of ensuring that the psychedelic, quote unquote, industry is being inclusive and of, you know, both people, communities of color, communities that have been historically marginalized by the war on drugs, queer folks, really, you know, kind of um, complicating this notion that there's a particular type of person that does psychedelics or that benefits from psychedelics when we know that that's not true.
0: And let's talk about psychedelics as a legitimate regulated industry for a second, because it's a hot button subject. And one of the recurring conversations we've been having on this podcast, alongside many people in this space at large, it centers the pitfalls and the opportunities inherent to the mainstreaming of psychedelics and psychedelic assisted therapies. There's an ever increasing amount of venture capital being poured into the psychedelic space. As evidenced from the Meet Delic conference, there were a ton of VCs I met there. And then there was Wonderland and Miami, and there's successful cannabis on entrepreneurs, pharmaceutical interests, etc., all pivoting into this space and there's so many nuances to unpack here. So with the arrival with the arrival of these moneyed interests comes a lot of valid concerns regarding equity, access, reciprocity, the overall direction of psychedelics as a quote-unquote industry and we're already seeing this drama play out in the patenting of intellectual property by multinational biotech companies, the 11th hour language amendment we saw with Senate Bill 519 in California, and ongoing debates related to decriminalization. So I'm curious, what are some of the hot takes you might have regarding best practices and important considerations for the rollout and mainstreaming of psychedelics as a legitimate regulated industry?
1: You know, the approach that someone might support in regards to the quote mainstreaming of psychedelics is going to be informed by what their priorities and what their goals are and so you know is the priority to make sure that the most number of people possible have access to psychedelics is in the long term is the priority to make sure that Psychedelics become legalized as medicines as quickly as possible is the priority to make sure that we are not creating hierarchies of set and setting in which certain types of contexts, i.e. like the FDA approved clinical context is perceived as more legitimate than, say, a ceremonial context or doing psychedelics recreationally. We've often taken the stance of double-blind that it's really not our role within the... Sure, I'm a human being. I have opinions. But as a journalist, it's not my role to have an opinion. It's my role to talk to the many different people within the space who have opinions and to encourage compassionate social discourse. It's our feeling that, you know... That that is that is our role, that there is enough debate already happening. There's enough people putting their their ideological flag in the ground and saying, like, this is how it should happen. Um, And so uh, I'm not going to take a stance, um, but I'll just say that um, one of the things that we would like to see, and which is a part of our, our mission at Double Blind, is nuanced conversation around these debates an example being that you mentioned, you know, the prob, that the, the ethically problematic tactic of patenting psychedelic compounds. Um, I did a story on this for, uh, I think it's like the third or fourth issue, Double Blind. Can't remember. Um, and basically, you know, as, as a human being, uh, my opinion going into it was, you know, no one should ever patent a psychedelic compound in any context ever. Um, Madison and I both sort of just personally have kind of an anti-capitalist bent and understand that the economic system we're a part of inherently oppresses people and is inherently problematic. Um, but when I actually got into reporting the story as a journalist and keeping my mind open, as is my duty as a journalist, I realized that, oh, it's actually not as simple as, you know, you're either a for-profit company that's patenting psychedelics and you're on the wrong side of history, or you're a nonprofit that's not patenting psychedelics and you're on the right side of history. For example... MAPS which, you know, a lot of people look to as kind of like the gold standard in terms of ethical drug development because they were historically a nonprofit, now also has a benefit corporation, which is a for-profit entity which is raising venture capital. Additionally, something that I will will say to just complicate this idea is that there is a difference ethically speaking between trying to patent a method of synthesizing a compound that has long been in the public domain like psilocybin, and trying to patent a completely novel delivery system, like for example, Bexin Biomedical, which is developing a subcutaneous delivery system for ke- for ketamine for chronic pain. So, you know, There's just a lot. There's a lot here to discuss. And every single aspect of this, you also mentioned has has different ethical considerations that are not black and white. Same goes with like this 11th hour addendum to SB 519, which you which you brought up. Yeah, of course, like in theory, I would I don't think that there should be possession limits on, uh, you know, The possession of drugs. But there are people who were working behind the scenes with SB 519 who have explanations as to why that was done. And it's not simply, you know, we think that there should be limits on possession because we don't believe in, you know, a grow gift gather model that's been put forth by decriminalized nature.
0: And I'm of the opinion that you can't keep all the people happy all the time. I think that's important to bear in mind. That's one stance I take. The other one is I love the long form journalism content that you're putting out. And I also love the podcast format because it enables us to have these more nuanced discourses. And I think a lot of people would agree we live in an echo chamber of social media where there's a lot of people jumping to conclusions and there's a lot of things that are stripped of context and get shared around. So I'm really an advocate and a proponent of these like more drawn out, more nuanced conversations. So we've talked some policy for a second. Let's chill out on that. Let's take it from the macro to the micro and one of the questions i always like to throw out there is when was your first psilocybin mushroom experience how did you get inducted into this whole world surely it didn't just magically happen that you woke up one day and were the founder and ceo of double blind like there's a trajectory there so could you share with us a little bit about maybe your first or some of your early psilocybin mushroom experiences and how that shaped your development
1: yeah my first mushroom trip was when i was 18 i was a freshman at bard college I had absolutely no idea what I was getting myself into. Literally, some of my friends in our college dorm were like, hey, want to do mushrooms? And I was like, sure literally had no idea what they were or what was about to happen. Um, We all did half of an eighth. We just ate them. They were disgusting in pretty short order. I was crying and didn't know why. And then my best friend who was down the hall came in and brought me my childhood stuffed animal. And I started laughing hysterically and at some point was like running down the hall of the dormitory. I I just I don't even fully remember what happened, but that was my first mushroom experience. And um, and I pretty quickly realized after that, in what we kind of call the integration phase, that something had been opened for me uh, not long after I did ACID for the first time and discovered Thus Spoke Zarathustra by Nietzsche and was sent into an existential crisis. Very classic 18-year-old, like, nothing matters, there's no objective truth, like, you know, I've been conditioned to believe all these things that are arbitrary. Um, And I think, you know, just kind of went on to continue having one or two psychedelic experiences, uh, probably two psychedelic experiences a year, every year until I was like 25. When I was 21 and graduated college in 2011, I went to Burning Man and like, did shrooms at Burning Man and did MDMA at Burning Man and did a bunch of other things at Burning Man. And um, then when I was 25, I discovered ayahuasca. And that was that was very life changing. And I've been drinking ayahuasca for about six years. So uh, yeah, that's sort of that would be my trajectory. And I love mushrooms. Mushrooms are one of my favorite psychedelics. I absolutely love the spirit of them. I love to microdose. I love to macrodose. I love to do museum doses. <laughs> I love them.
0: I've never heard that term museum doses. I love that. Can you elaborate on that briefly?
1: I think a museum dose is like, I mean, I don't know. You should ask Michelle Janickian. She probably has a more specific answer for you. But I would say it's something in the realm of like, to like one gram essentially it's more than a microdose it's enough to trip but it's um, a small enough dose that you could in theory like go to a museum or be out in public without having your perception of space and time distorted to a degree that People think you're a crazy person.
0: (laughs) Oh, too late. That ship has sailed for me. But I'm a big fan of that level of dosage. I I call it a party dose. And so everybody's got a different approach to how and when and why they engage with these substances and with psilocybin mushrooms and beyond that, more novel molecules. And it took me over a decade to really find my sweet spot where I can functionally integrate mushrooms and psychedelics into my life. And I think this is where double blind and media and education platforms are so important because I also graduated from college in 2011. So when I arrived at the University of San Francisco in 2007, there was no conversation about harm reduction. There was no conversation about integration. There was a cornucopia of novel molecules and rare substances and all of it just floating around all the time. And it really took a lot of Learning and growing pains for me to figure out what works for me and like what works in a social setting versus what works in a more private, exploratory, maybe healing. Capacity. And now it's so cool to see these conversations happening on the world stage, and so many people, you know, double blind certainly being at the vanguard of that. So, what I wanted to tap into there is you mentioned you have a relationship with ayahuasca, you love mushrooms and the mushroom spirit, and all these great things that are available and that we now have more regular access to. But how do you know personally for yourself? when it's time to embark on one of these experiences and to what degree to do it? Because I think a half eighth is a super nice dose. I'm a big advocate of that dose. You know, some people like to turn it up a bit, myself included. So for yourself personally, do you have like a protocol like once a year or four times a year or whatever, I'm gonna embark on this? Or is it as the spirit moves you or just love to hear a little bit about how you know it's time to embark on one of these experiences?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a few different Things to consider. One of the first things to consider is Do I feel like I'm in a place where I could use some kind of deep alignment with self? Uh, Because psychedelics are great at giving me perspective and reminding me of what's important, and I think oftentimes we get caught up in our day to day lives and I often say that I go into a psychedelic trip with questions and I come out realizing my questions were too small. <laughs> and so, um, you know, and and realizing, you know, when is the right time for that is much the same process as realizing when it's the right time for anything, which is, um, which happens in moments of stillness. And it happens when I give myself the space to, uh, to get clear on what I need to do. So whether it's, you know, deciding that I'm going to move or deciding I'm going to end a relationship or deciding I'm going to go deeper into a relationship or, you know, any important life choice comes ideally from, uh, from a place of stillness. Um, and from a place of of, of certainty that's birthed from that stillness. It's a a gut feeling. It's not an intellectual choice. Um, And then secondarily, you know, if I'm getting that message that, oh yeah, it's time to align with myself and I feel certain about that, then I also have to make sure that I'm set up for uh, success, so all the things we talk about at Double Blind around making sure you prepare, making sure you set your intention, making sure you take care of your body, making sure you have time after the experience to integrate whatever emerges for you, like that's all really important too, and you know... Like I could tell you right now, for example, oh yeah, I would love to, you know, do mushrooms this weekend, but I'm not going to do that because I know that on Monday I have like a ton of meetings and that I have to be at. And I, you know, it's, it's not, it's not a good use of the medicine or a good use of my time to open up a bunch of stuff that I don't have the space to process.
0: And it sounds like double blind was born from that place of stillness. So the proof's in the pudding right there. So Awesome. And yes, integration is something I'm still learning how to wrap my mind around because for so long it was just kind of like hacking through the jungle with a machete is how I I refer to it. Now it's super awesome to see that there's more support and infrastructure for us weirdos or for myself, personally speaking. So another question I want to dive into that I always like to ask is what is an average Tuesday like for the CEO of a massive psychedelic publication? Because From the outside looking in, it seems like it's all like confetti and trippy tea and sexy after parties. And like, I'm sure there's plenty of that. But like, what about the banalities and the mundaneness and the taxes and spreadsheets? So can you walk us through your Monday that you're looking forward to and like what the practical considerations are for someone who wants to launch or further their micropreneurial venture?
1: Sure. I mean, look, like I'm I run a psychedelic magazine, but at the end of the day, I also run a media startup in 2022. Um, And that comes along with all the things that running both a media company and running a startup come along with. It comes with lots of Zoom calls. It comes with lots of Google spreadsheets. Double Blind has a Slack and an Asana and a Google Drive and QuickBooks and, you know, Klaviyo, which is what we use to send our emails And a million other plugins to make our website work and an opt-in monster for our pop-ups. And I mean, we have tons and tons of plugins and subscription services and meetings and processes and KPIs and all the rest. And that's just what it is. That's running a business. At the same time, you know, we do try to run double blind, what we call psychedelically. And what we mean by that is like, we understand that You know, people are people. People are humans. And we think that it's, you know, I think that it's Esther Perel that talks about this a little bit. Maybe she has a TED Talk or a podcast or something on it. But she essentially talks about how there's this false idea that who we are in our personal lives is different than who we are in our professional lives, when actually it's my philosophy that the way you do anything is the way you do everything. And so we have to leave space for people to be human and to have human problems and we also have to recognize what people's strengths are and what their weaknesses are and put them in positions where they're going to thrive and they're going to be happy and they're going to feel cared for and so um so we're big on that and uh you know everybody works from home and people pretty much make their own hours and we have really flexible vacation and You know, we're a startup, so we don't have a ton of resources to like pay for people's yoga classes, but someday I hope we can do that.
0: Hell yeah! I know that tune well. I've been working from home with my wife for a number of years, and life's good. But also, it's not as fun all the time as people imagine. Being a you know director of a startup is like there's a lot of late nights and a lot of like head banging and you know figuring out how to outsource things and how to delegate. And I'm navigating all those. As evidence from you know missing the Wednesday original call that we had here. So let's talk music because music's such a huge part of my life, and it's such an integral part of the psychedelic experience for so many folks out there and i think that double blind is especially well positioned to elevate a lot of young artists and to platform some really interesting psychedelically inclined musicians so i'd love to hear who are some of your personal favorite musicians and bands and what music if anything are you inclined to dial into
1: no one has ever asked me this question before so kudos to you Uh, double blind actually does have a spotify channel with trip playlists on it so you can go there and check out the trip playlist and i the trip playlist called saturday trip i made and have used many times while on a psychedelic experience i also made the trip playlist called inner transmissions that's on there um but uh, yeah, for me, um, I'm, I actually am a musician as well. And so I love music. I'm a jazz singer and I, I, I love all kinds of music. But when I'm tripping, I usually like stuff that is primarily instrumental and um, not like overly technical or um, with too many dimensions. Um, one of my favorite like albums ever to listen to while tripping is Journey and Satya Denanda by Alice Coltrane. I also really love Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd. I know I'm a cliche, but I do love that album. Um, so those are some favorites.
0: Hell yeah. Personally, I've been really enjoying the catalog of Mitski lately. Shout out Mitski. Big fan of Dominic Fike. I heavily fuck with Blake Mills, guitarist and producer extraordinaire, who's produced Perfume Genius, John Legend, a ton of other heavy hitters, but I particularly like his solo body of work, which is criminally underrated. All right. I want to unpack the stigma that I perceive around using psilocybin mushrooms recreationally because... There's rightfully so much emphasis on the healing and therapeutic aspects of psilocybin mushrooms and psilocybin assisted therapy that I've often felt awkward around certain groups who focus so heavily on the healing potential and the spiritual evolutionary aspects of magic mushrooms as if that's the only way to appropriately engage with them. I first gravitated towards mushrooms for their explorative potential and visionary potential, which I read about in the work of Terence McKenna and in various trip reports on Arrowhead. And mushrooms have served me well as a vehicle of extraordinary exploration and adventure over the years. For me, eating two grams of mushrooms at a Flaming Lips concert is a more meaningful and ecstatic experience than some of the more somber ceremonial containers that I've explored. Do you think that psychedelics can be effectively used as a party drug? Or is that lighthearted use of them demeaning in some way?
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I often say is that at Double Blind, we don't create a hierarchy of set and setting. And what I mean by that is that um, we're not uh, going to say that doing psychedelics in a clinical context with two therapists and an eye shade on is more legitimate than doing psychedelics at home or in the desert or in a ceremony or anywhere else that a person wants to do that assuming that they're being respectful of the lineages of these medicines and they also are not harming themselves or other people um (laughs) so um you know One of the reasons why Madison and I were so passionate about starting Double Blind is because we saw that there was a really big need for um, information that was speaking to people who don't necessarily want to do psychedelics in a very particular context or in a very particular way and we're all for FDA approval and I'll say that simply because I know that there are a lot of people who will never do psychedelics if they don't have the FDA stamp of approval and who are going to want that supportive setting if they have PTSD or whatever like my grandma for example is someone who is not going to do psychedelics unless like her doctor says it's okay and that they won't conflict with her, uh, the other billion medications she's on, you know. Um, But um, there are a lot of people who are already doing psychedelics and who are not going to wait for the FDA's approval or who even won't want to do psychedelics through the FDA, even if they qualify, because that's just like that setting doesn't call to them. And... From that perspective, it's very much like the same approach that people are taking to uh, drug education in schools that's based in harm reduction, or even like some of the progressive sex education that we've seen in schools that's anti-abstinence. Like, let's not pretend the kids aren't going to have sex. Let's just give them condoms and tell them what an STD looks like. Um, So in that spirit, like we talk about all kinds of things on the double blind platform. Yeah, we interview researchers and we talk about drug development, but we also like, You know, we've had uh, stories on psychedelics and BDSM and psychedelics and polyamory. We've had, um, like, stories on psychedelics and parenting. We've had stories on... Um, We had a story in the last issue uh, written by this club kid, this queer club kid in Brooklyn named Julian Wildhack, and the title of the story was In Defense of Mindlessness, and it was all about like the ecstatic and revelatory experiences he's had, like taking shrooms and MDMA and ketamine and like riding the subways through New York City and parting until the sun rose over the downtown New York horizon. So it's like, whatever, you know, like to each their own.
0: All right, last question on the books today for you, Shelby Hartman. What is next on the horizon for Double Blind?
1: Our two North Stars remain our North Stars, those being the journalism aspect. Um, So continuing to just do meaningful storytelling around what's happening in psychedelics. We have issue seven of the print magazine comes out in June. We release two issues a year and we don't plan to stop that anytime soon. Um, as well as, you know, consistently publishing content on the website. We definitely, in terms of journalism, want to do more in the realm of multimedia. So I'm sure at some point coming up soon, we'll have a podcast. We also have explored the prospect of doing more robust film and TV, like turning some of our print stories into docu-series or our docu- or, uh, feature-length documentaries. So that's definitely something that we want to do at some point. Um, In the realm of education, you know, we have our two webinars a month um, on all kinds of things, psychedelics for men's healing and psychedelics for trauma and just basically anything you could possibly imagine. So we're going to keep doing those. We're going to keep releasing courses. We just came out with a course on trip sitting with Tony Moss and Sky Weaver, which is amazing. and super stoked to have them um, on our team. And also, I would say, Something big that we're going to start exploring in the next year-ish are in-person events. This was always like a, a part of the plan, but, you know, we started Double Blind before COVID was a thing. So, um, you know, we've had to cancel several big events uh, after the pandemic Got started, but as soon as we can, we want to start bringing our community together in person. Just because we know that there are a lot of people who are really craving intimacy and craving connection with other people who do psychedelics or just beginning to explore psychedelics. And you know, it's cool that we've built this community online, but you know, digital connection only goes so far.
0: Shelby Hartman, thank you so much for joining us on the Michaelpreneur Podcast. It's been a pleasure. Best of luck with all of your endeavors, and we look forward to following your trajectory with Double Blind and Beyond.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Que onda, my friends. Gotta refresh the outro, too. So what'd you think of this episode? Drop us a line. Hit the DMs on Instagram, at Michaelpreneurpodcast, or dare I say TikTok. Yes, we've been engaging in TikTokery as of late. And while I have your attention, Ego Death Magazine is actively soliciting content submissions and recurring contributor roles. Just take a look at the type of content exhibited thus far at www.egodeathmagazine.com to get an idea of what sort of materials we are looking to platform. So don't be a stranger. Bridges, not borders, baby. All right, you take care of yourself now. I'll be seeing you around. Ciao, au revoir, sayonara, and adios, motherfuckers.